Hi, welcome back to La Belle Vie. Today's video is a look back at one of the scariest serial killers I've known about in my life, and that is the Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling. So I started thinking back again of this case recently as I've been monitoring the Idaho 4 Brian Koberger case as it gets closer to the preliminary hearing in late June. What I didn't know until doing my recent research was that the Danny Rowling case actually inspired the screenwriter of the movie Scream. There you go. Now, if you haven't heard of this case, Danny Rowling terrorized the University of Florida campus in Gainesville, Florida, back in August of 1990. Now, I know this case well. I'm going to out myself and my age, as I was a college student at the time at the University of Central Florida, or UCF, which is just about two hours away from UF in Central Florida. It happened, the murders happened right before school started. It was actually the weekend before when life on college campuses are super busy with orientation for freshmen, fraternity and sorority rush happening, college football starting, all of it. Um, so at the time, one of my college roommates' boyfriend was at UF, and she would regularly go visit him on the weekends. And she had actually been in Gainesville in the weeks before, right before the murders. And she was a very pretty, thin, attractive brunette, which was Danny's type. Also crazy was that we actually got a call. I took the call from the Gainesville Police Department because they wanted to interview her about one of the early suspects, who was a man named Edward Humphrey. He was a freshman at UF. Um, I think he was 18 at the time. Um, and he had a history of mental illness. Now, he had been arrested August 30, which was right after the murders, when he got into a physical altercation with his grandmother. And he was held in custody for months until he was finally released after blood evidence cleared him. So anyway, my college roommate, um, had had a strange encounter with him at a fast food restaurant and uh, it had resulted in a police report. And so I think what we figured out was that the, as once Edward Humphrey had been arrested, they were going through you know his, his record and they contacted us to speak with my roommate a little bit more about him. Um, I felt horrible for the guy because it turned out obviously he wasn't the murderer and but rumors still existed after he was released for a while. And so I remember it was still around when I was in school. So anyway, luckily, I mean, the right person was ultimately found, but I do remember that was just bizarre at that time. And again, it was a scary time. All the Florida universities up their security at the time. I mean, again, this was the fall start of fall semester because there was a real fear that this murderer was going to leave, you know, UF and go to another university. And so UCF's two hours away. And so there was a lot of real fear um, that he was going to do the same thing at another school. And so I recall in Orlando, um, Things did start to kind of calm down as the semester went on, but it was just a really crazy, bizarre time. So when I started looking back at the case, my knowledge was really just remembering what it, what my facts were at the time. And I, I did know that subsequently they found the right person. He was, um, he ultimately, as we'll talk about, he ultimately um, was arrested and then did um, confess to the murders. And he has 
was since um, ultimately executed in Florida as a result of those murders. But when I revisited the case, I found that it does have some similarities to the Idaho 4 case. Um, first of all, Danny targeted college students. Same there. The students lived off campus, which was the same thing with the victims in the Danny Rowling case. He, Danny was also um, understood to have stalked his victims. Um, he had a type. And, uh, of course, we don't know if that's totally true in the Idaho 4 case, so that's all alleged, but there is information out there that potentially the person that has been arrested, Brian Koberger, might have stalked or at least had interest in some of the victims. Um, but again, that's speculation. Um, the other thing was Danny um, Rowling used a K-bar knife to brutally murder his victims. Um, he broke into the victims' houses via a sliding glass door. So there was a lot there. I was like, wow, that's that's kind of crazy. There's a lot of similarities. But that's kind of where the similarities end, at least from the information we have on the Idaho case, which obviously it's not a lot because of the gag order. Um, so where's like, but one kind of big difference that I think is critical to like think about as far as terror of the, of the society um, was whereas the killer in the Idaho case committed the crime for what we understand to be probably a fairly short period of time, we believe, you know, in that 4 a.m. time period, whereas Danny Rowling effectuated his killing spree over three days. He did so with not a lot of time constraints. Um, there was evidence that showed he was in the victim's apartments for um, sometimes hours, um, committing the crimes and doing other disgusting things. And there you go. So whereas the Idaho case, it seems like from what we know, the um, alleged, the murderer came into their um, apartment and did the killing spree and left. Um, in the Danny Rowling case, this was over a three-day period. And again, this was the weekend before fall semester started. So if you can just imagine the fear that was going on in, in universities, definitely in Florida, and I think even universities around the country. So to take a step back on Danny Rowling, the crime streets, as I stated, started the weekend before fall classes started. The first murders appeared to have happened on the early morning hours of Friday, August 24th. And what happened there was Rowling broke into the apartment of two UF freshmen, Sonia Larson, who was just 18, and Christina Powell, who's only 17. And he murdered Larson first. Um, he stabbed her with the K-bar, and then he SA'd Christina Powell and then stabbed her to death. Then um, he placed the bodies in disgusting, sexual, provocative positions, took a shower, and left. And recall, this was in the 1990. We didn't have cell phones. And in fact, um, from looking back at the facts of the case, the girls had just moved into their off-campus apartment. Oh, sadly, one of the parents was like bummed that they didn't get into the dorms. So they were living off campus. They didn't even have their phone connected yet. Because remember, guys, 1990, we had old school phones. And so how sore, I mean, just horrible. So um, it turns out that Christina and Sonia's parents became concerned right away when they didn't hear from them, from the girls. So on Sunday, so they were killed on Friday. So on Sunday, 
August 26, Christina's parents, who lived closer to Gainesville, drove to Gainesville to see what was going on. They tried to access the apartment and they couldn't do that. So then they got the apartment manager and one of the maintenance workers to open the apartment. Now, the apartment manager rightly said, hold on, I think we need to get the police involved. So they called the police. The, a police officer came. They opened the door to the apartment and then just discovered this nightmare um, and just horrible. And so anyway, that was so that was Sunday was really when the first victims were identified. But the murders happened on Friday. So Rowling's next, next victim was actually on Saturday. And that was Christina Hoyt, who was just 18. Um, she was a student at a local community college, Santa Fe Community College, and she was also a part-time employee at the Lachua Sheriff's Department. And she worked night shifts. Um, and so when she didn't appear for work, which was completely unusual for her, you know, obviously the sheriff's office went over to see her. But taking a step back, what happened was Danny had broken into her apartment via the sliding glass door on Saturday. August 25th. And apparently she wasn't at home at the time. So he was kind of basically lying in wait for her to come home. So she came back home and he attacked her. He essayed her. He brutally stabbed her. He then left. And then apparently he was staying in a campsite. And Gainesville's kind of in a rural area. There's a lot of woods. So he was staying at a campsite. And um, apparently he thought he might have left his wallet at the scene. So he went back to her apartment after he'd done all these horrible things to her. And then he decapitated her and put her head on dresser facing her body in a very disgusting position. So anyway, um, when, again, when, when, um, Krista, um, I'm sorry, I was calling her Christina. When Krista failed to report to work on August 26th, that Sunday, the sheriff's office dispatched officers to her apartment and, of course, discovered the horrific scene. Um, as an aside, there, there's more details on the injuries. Um, I'm not going to go into them. You could Google them. Um, it's not YouTube friendly, but just it's it's horrible. And so um, anyway very disturbing. So the next victims were UF students, Tracy Paulus, 23, and Manny Taboda, I don't know if I'm saying that right, who was also 23. And they were murdered on Monday, August 27th. So on Sunday, recall, so the first murders of the two freshmen were on Friday. Then he married, uh, then he murdered Krista on Saturday. The parents came Sunday and discovered the bodies. And then later that Sunday, early Monday morning hours, when, when Krista was paired, supposed to appear to work is when her body just was discovered. So at this point, the police know something is going on. So again, um, so on Monday, August 27th, um, just like with Krista, Rowling had broken into the apartment of Tracy and Manny and through the sliding glass door and he burst first stabbed and killed Manny first. They think that he was sleeping. Um, then he went after Tracy and he managed to um, overtake her and he essayed her and stabbed her to death. 
And then they were found the next day, next morning, Tuesday, August 28th, when some friends um, called in saying they hadn't heard from them and the police went and discovered the horrific scene. So absolutely horrible. But again, like you can see, um, it's, it's, there's similarities to the Idaho 4 case and the kind of the methods um, and, the, and the murder weapon, et cetera. But, but, um, but it was spread out over three days and it's basically terrorized this campus. So, so Danny Rowling was eventually caught in part due to a Crime Stoppers tip from a woman from Shreveport, Louisiana. So this woman had heard about the rumors actually at the time when they happened because she had been um, probably vacationing in the Florida Panhandle. And so she said that at the time when she heard about the murders, something had made her think about Danny Rowling. And the backstory on that is that in Shreveport, Louisiana, the previous November in 1989, there had been a murder of a family of three people. And... Um, there was a comment at that time that Danny Rowling had made to this woman's husband that basically that disturbed him greatly. And basically what Danny said was that he likes to stick knives in people. So she said that she had dismissed the comment at the time because she kind of just didn't want to believe that this guy that they were kind of friends with was potentially capable of a murder because those three victims in Shreveport were also stabbed and one of the victims, who was a young female, was also provocatively, her body was provocatively placed and was essayed as well. So there was a similarity there. And she said she just didn't want to kind of think that, but it just kind of kept getting at her. And so eventually in November of 1990, so the murders happened at the end of August of 1990. So in November of 1990, she wound up picking up the phone and calling Crime Stoppers saying, look, I just can't get this out of my head. I, you might be, need to be looking at Danny Rowling. And what's interesting is at the same time, the investigators in the Shreveport case had actually, of course, then found out about the Gainesville Ripper and contacted the Gainesville police saying, this MO seems pretty similar. And so the Gainesville PD uh, police had gone to Shreveport to kind of talk with investigators there. And so right at that same time, they were already like, okay, what's going on? We might have a hot one here. So basically um, at that time, when they came back from Shreveport, they started looking into Danny Rowling's history and they found out that he had an outstanding arrest for the shooting of his father from May of 1990 and multiple convictions for armed robbery. So these developments led police to also relook at a bank robbery that had occurred the same day that Krista Hoyt, she was the third female um, killed that Saturday. It was the same day she was murdered. There was this bank robbery and it was not far from her home. And during that bank robbery, the teller had slipped a red dye pack into the money bag and then later that evening, police had noticed kind of a suspicious looking person walking around a wooded area. Now, they didn't wind up catching the person, but they did find a screwdriver, which was ultimately found to have been used to pry open the sliding glass doors, a gun, a bag of money with a stained red dye, and a cassette player and a tape. Now, I'm laughing a little bit here because remember, this is 1990. 
We had cassette players back then. We had tapes, mixed tapes. But the tape, they didn't listen to it at the time. They just kind of didn't connect the two because remember, the murders were done by a knife. And so they didn't connect the two. But when they went back and revisited this thing, oh, wait, wait a minute, armed robbery. So they went and listened to the tape and the tape contained songs and talkings of a man that was saying strange things like, you're a killer, a drifter, gone insane. And then he was, he was apparently a musician. He had some music on there, but he also said his name, Danny Rowling on the tape. And so that's when they were like, all right. So what really is kind of interesting is that Rowling had actually been in jail this whole time since early September of 1990. So he had been jailed because he had gotten caught in Ocala, Florida, which is not far from Gainesville, probably about 30 minutes away. Um, he was caught with robbery, robbery, with robbery. He was trying to rob a supermarket. And so he was already in jail. And so that was pretty much why we didn't see any more murders because he was in jail. But I also think that's also why that Edward Humphrey, the person that I mentioned that my roommate had had a, a you know, a counter with, that's also why he didn't get out of jail for the longest time either, because I think the police for a while thought he was the guy. So in any event, so eventually in November of 1991, now remember, Danny Merlin's been in jail this whole time because of the, the robbery in Ocala. But in, in November of 1991, he was finally charged with five counts of first-degree murder. Now, before his trial actually took place, he was convicted of the armed robbery charges, and he was serving a life sentence. So by the time his trial kicked around for the murders, he was already serving a life term. Um but while he was in prison for those robbery charges, he confessed the murders to a death row inmate, Bobby Lewis. And Rowling agreed to meet with investigators and confessed to the Gainesville murders, but he wanted Lewis to be present as his kind of translator. So basically, this other guy that was on death row, this Bobby Lewis, who Danny Rowling confessed to, they had this interview with police. And so the police would ask the questions to Danny and then Danny would give the answer to Bobby. And then Bobby said the answer It was bizarre. And so then basically at each time that Danny would answer the question in this weird way, the police would then have to go to Dana, Danny and say, can you affirm that this is correct? This is your testimony to get, you know, an ironclad um, confession. So in any event, um, his trial was set to begin on February 15th. Um, but again, on the first day of the trial, he wound up pleading guilty to all counts. And then the trial just turned into a sentencing phase on whether he was going to be in life in prison or he was going to receive the death penalty. Um, at the end of the day, the jury did recommend death as punishment, which the judge affirmed. Um, another weird thing about Danny Rowling is while in trial, he became engaged to a woman because gosh, don't we see that happening all the time, but he became engaged to a woman named Sandra London with whom he co-authored the making of a serial killer, which chronicles his life and the murders. I'll link it below in case you're interested. Um, but in any event, um, 
he was ultimately put to death by lethal injection on October 25th, 2006 at 52 years old. And then prior to his death, um, he did admit to the three murders of the Shreveport family. So today there is a beautiful memorial that stands. I'm going to link it here, um, which includes the five victims' names. And my understanding is it's still something that's really part of the Gainesville community. And so, um, you know, I just thought that was really interesting. And it's a really perfect way to kind of pay tribute to those five college kids that just were starting starting school for the fall semester. And, and so as we kind of come forward to the preliminary hearing at the end of June, you know, no, however that comes out, I just always want to kind of keep the focus on the victims. And, you know, so I thought that was a really good way of kind of revisiting another case that has some similarities, but also remembering to keep the victims in our memory of, the, of both Danny Rowling and the victims of the Idaho Four and all victims of, of, of violence. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this little blast from the past and a little bit of my own personal story to it. Um, but thank you again so much for, for joining. If you haven't, if you would consider liking and subscribing, that would be awesome. I'm really trying to grow this channel and your support means the world to me. And then in the meantime, I hope to see you in my next one. Bye.